Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, my loves. Welcome back to the Balance Bond Podcast, Soul on Fire. Today's guest is someone who I've been a fan of for a very long time. His name is Peter Crone, the mind architect. He has helped so many people radically transform their lives with the power of the mind. He works with athletes, celebrities, corporations, individuals, and... He does not mess around. Peter has a very unique approach, a very honest approach, and he will tell you what you need to do to shift your life. And he has absolutely done that with me time and time again. So I met Peter many years ago at Surya Spa, the Ayurvedic spa that I've done a lot of healing work at, doing panchakarmas and different things. And Peter is also an Ayurvedic healer. He has studied Ayurveda for many years and he used to live next door to Surya Spa so he would have lunch there all the time. And I remember coming across him there and basically just being so stunned by him in awe of this man who is just this striking, tall, handsome, articulate, intelligent British man who has just so many beautiful things to say. Everything that comes out of his mouth is pure wisdom. And that's where we met, but we didn't really deeply connect until a few years later. We have some mutual friends. Lauren Roxborough, who's been on this podcast, had a party a few years ago, or maybe it was a year, year and a half ago. Peter was there and uh, Lauren was like, okay, this is great. I've wanted you guys to meet for a long time. So from there, Peter and I did some work together. He mind architected me. That's not even a word, but he did some mind mind architecture on me. And he changed my life. And it was so empowering. And things that I learned in that session with Peter and then our follow-up sessions still come up in my day-to-day life, in my relationship, in my career. So much so, of course, that I had Jonathan see Peter as well because I like to share the love and I knew that um, Jonathan needed this kind of this kind of work in his life as well. And I think everybody, in fact, I know everyone can benefit from shifting our limiting beliefs, which is really the work that Peter does. So he, he helped me shift out of so many of my limiting beliefs and things that I felt so much were true. Like, well, I'm sensitive and I'm this and I'm that and I'm prone to sickness and it's hard for me to heal because blah, blah, blah. And he just challenged me to change that entire narrative, which shifted everything for me. And I couldn't be more grateful because stepping out of those limiting beliefs, that's what 
that's what the ultimate goal is for me and for all of us. So this conversation with Peter was very special and I am just so very excited for everybody to listen to it because it is full of wisdom, full of that Peter wisdom. And it's probably definitely like nothing else you've ever heard before, which excites me so very much. So before we dive into this episode, just a couple brief things. I wanted to remind you that if you feel inspired to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, I have a free gift to send you, which is my Soul on Fire yoga ebook. And all you need to do is rate and review the podcast, send me a screenshot to jordan at thebalancebond.com. And I will send you that free gift. And also, Peter has a course called Free Your Mind, which you can find on petercrone.com. So you can get access to all this amazing stuff that we talk about in this episode in a more accessible way than having a one-on-one with Peter. So I highly recommend checking that out if his work resonates with you, which I'm absolutely positive that it will because he is epic. And before we dive into this conversation, I want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Array. So you guys have heard me talk about Array because I've been raving about them on Instagram. They are the biggest game changer that I've experienced when it comes to bloating and stomach issues after a meal, which has been kind of a lifelong thing for me. Not kind of, but definitely. I have had a sensitive stomach and that's something that runs in my family. So my dad has a sensitive stomach my siblings. And then I would say I have, I have it most of all. So the exciting thing is not only am I taking array, but I also got my family taking array. So my dad takes it after every meal. I'm home in Sacramento right now. And I tried to take some of my dad's and he was like, Hey, this is mine. Get your hands off of it. Get your own, which was so funny. Cause Of course, I traveled with mine, but I also was going to use a bit of his because it was in front of me. So to tell you a little bit more about Array, it is spelled A-R-R-A-E, and you can find them at Array.com. It was founded by our very own The Balance Blonde community member and listener, Sifat. She is incredible. She founded the company because of her own stomach issues and her own health issues. So it's full of potent but very simple ingredients. You can feel the results immediately, which is the only time, the one and only time that I've had that experience with the product, to be completely honest with you. And it's trusted by naturopaths because it was formulated by a naturopathic doctor. So they have bloat pills and they also have calm pills. So if you cannot relate to the bloating and the stomach issues, perhaps you'll like to check out their calm alchemy capsules, which are designed to help naturally ease stress so that you can focus on feeling your best. But I have a feeling a lot of people here in our TBB tribe will love to check out the bloat alchemy capsules. They are gluten-free, cruelty-free, kosher filler-free, organic, non-GML, vegan, nut-free, all the things needed to be TBB approved. So it gives you a lot of freedom to not have those uncomfortable side effects of eating food that doesn't make us feel so good. So it has six ingredients and nothing else. And those ingredients are ginger root, lemon balm, dandelion root, 
peppermint, slippery elm, and bromelain. So it's all completely plant-based, completely natural. And the interesting thing is all of those herbs are also recommended for healing from Lyme disease and chronic illness. So you are getting that one-two punch with this product and I couldn't recommend them more. So check them out at array.com. Check out their bloating capsules. And then also check out those calm capsules that you can take at night or whenever just to have a little bit of zen in your life. I know that you will love them and fall in love. So now let's get into this episode with Peter. Thank you to Array for sponsoring the episode. And I'm so excited to dive into this conversation. Peter, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. This is something we've been trying to do for a very long time, and you've been so patient with me as I've been all over the place for this whole entire year and then some, and I've just wanted to share your work and your magic with my listeners for as long as I can remember. So I'm so happy that you're here and you've done such great, helpful work for both me and Jonathan. So um, I just want to thank you for that. We talk about you every day. You mean so much to us and yeah. I'm so happy that you're here. Wow. Well, thank you. That's uh, very touching to hear. And I feel very fortunate that I get a lot of that reflection, you know, and uh, I'm just sort of in my own way, like a little kid who's just a caring boy and wants to right. make a difference and help people. So whenever I hear that my words have had impact, it's uh, it's always very moving. So I love that. Happy to I have think, helped. I think we're all just little kids trying to make an impact and connect and yeah. you know feel love and enjoy our lives. Yeah. I think that's what I've come to. And what I've learned in life is we're all just little kids. Yeah. And I see people that way. I see my parents that way. And yeah. that's shifted a lot for for me and the way that I connect with people. For sure. It breeds a lot more um, patience and compassion. You know? Totally. And I think it's just very fundamental to the human experience, which is um, it's primal to crave a sense of belonging. You know, and Absolutely. that we could say falls under the auspices of wanting to be loved and accepted, which I think, you know, whether we get into it today or not, but like what's going on in the world is there's just the antithesis of this right now where we're being told to stay apart and people aren't able exactly. to be with loved ones who are sick or God forbid, actually some people who have died, you know, regardless of whether it's from COVID or not or tweak yeah. numbers or falsified, you know, it doesn't really matter. They're just exactly. not with people that they care about. And as human beings, we... um we're social animals and we crave touch and certainly we want to be with the people that we love and we care for and uh, we have fun with. So that's why I was excited that we could actually meet in person and you weren't one of the ones who is just incredibly scared of another human being. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't see anybody for like a hundred days, oh literally not one person yeah. other than my doctor. Yeah. And that was wild. I mean, the yeah. first time I saw someone was my 17 year old niece and I burst into tears. Just yeah. It was just this immediate reaction of like, oh yeah. my God, someone I love. I can't yeah. believe it. Yeah. And it's just, wild. So yeah, yeah. to do this in person today is so special. I think we should definitely at some point touch on what's happening in the world just because yeah. everybody listening is no doubt affected. For um, sure. For sure. Yeah, mentally, it's emotionally. Times. Exactly. Yeah. But first, I just want to get into you and who you are and give us a little bit of your background. Uh-huh. 
The sure. Mind Architect. The Mind Architect, yes. Uh, a moniker that uh, seems to be fitting for now. And Absolutely. It's uh, unique enough that it inspires curiosity right, versus me walking around saying I'm a spiritual teacher, which is going to be contaminated and people think I'm going to come into the house with, you know, sage and Palo right. Santo and wearing robes or whatever. Um, so <laughs> Mind Architecture certainly seems to definitely speak to what I'm doing, which is helping to reveal these primal patterns of the subconscious where, you know, humans get stuck, you know, in fear, which is obviously a lot of stuff that's coming to the surface right now is this, this deep, 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 um, imperative to stay alive, right? That is any organism sort of fundamental drive is to survive. And, uh, it's being challenged, not necessarily, not, I was going to say not necessarily, I'll get rid of the necessarily, not by a virus, ironically, but by the fear of a virus. Right. You know, because the data speaks for itself. I mean, it's less than whatever it is, 0.5% of people who are actually going to die. And then even those numbers are questionable and they've got pre-existing conditions and they're on statins and ACE inhibitors and they're old. And, you know, and that's not to deny the presence of it. And people can obviously practice due diligence and be smart. But like really what it's exposing is just how scared humans are. Right. And so for me to be able to help people recognize even prior to a virus, um, that people fundamentally are driven by fear and it, it alters their behavior. They create uh, survival patterns and they adapt themselves, whether it be in perfectionism, people pleasing, subservience, um, as a result of, you know, the concern for not being loved, not being accepted, as we said before, and really doing anything that they can to survive which is an exhausting way to live life. It's incredibly unfulfilling and uh, it's being exacerbated right now. So for me, it's just such a, it's a privilege, it's an honor, it's a responsibility to help people sort of discover this world of freedom on the other side of the constraints of our subconscious. And that's really sort of the catchphrase of my work, shall we say? Yeah. I mean, that's the ultimate thing we all want is freedom from these fears and limiting beliefs and stories that we tell ourselves and being able to let go of that and step into alignment with who we really are because it's not like we realize these things yeah. is so huge. Yeah, they're blind spots, right, in a lay term and, and they are insidious and they're, I would assert, primal for which reason there's no judgment, right? Like we as human beings have, I would assert, the way I've delineated is that we have these 10 primal constraints and that's what my book is going to speak to is to sort of reveal, you know, what are these fundamental limitations that everyone is quote unquote born with and then they get triggered by various events, right? Some some people go through horrific childhoods, some people may be sort of benign, but they have their own version of not being loved or not feeling they're good enough and things that every everyone can relate to. But it is um, nonetheless an exhausting way to live life and um, people don't necessarily know why they go to bed exhausted, get up the next day, don't feel motivated, they're in a job that they don't love, they're in a relationship that lacks any passion, their body is failing them or it's certainly not the body that they want and yet there's this sort of persistence of the human spirit in the face of a lot of adversity and lack of satisfaction, which is beautiful but if I can help remove the the obstacles, the, the the things that are inhibiting people's capacity to realize their potential, to be joyous, to have true connection and affinity with people that they care about, to not be reactionary, to not be upset, to be not in a state of dis-ease emotionally that then, you know, down the line transcends into physiological disease. Like that to me is a life worth living. And, and I've done this now for over two decades and the results speak for themselves in terms of people who's had 
all sorts of sicknesses just reconcile and mitigate and dissolve because of their shift emotionally to people who have started a business that's 10x or they've got a relationship that was just really struggling and now they've got this newfound sense of love or just just a personal sense of liberation and lightness because they're no longer living in this constraint of self-perceived limitation, inadequacy or insecurity. So That's amazing. Yeah, so you really fun. created your own career yep. based <laughs> off of what you love to do, which is the epitome of yeah. what this podcast is all about, the soul on fire life, yeah. living a soul on fire life in alignment with what you yeah. truly care about the most. So you blended everything that you love, Peter, and yeah. turned it into a career. And you yeah. also did this yeah. early on, before there was social media, before there were podcasts, before yeah. you could get the word out in that kind of way. So how did you get started and what was your inspiration for getting into this spiritual line of work? Um, well, firstly, I just want to acknowledge what you just said, because it really captured it nicely. Like I really did just, you know, create my own niche, right? Which was a reflection and an extension of my own passion, which was my own personal freedom and expansion, right? Expansion meaning beyond the constraints, right? So if we grow um, in whatever regard, you could say financially, physiologically, emotionally, like really what we're doing is we're transcending previous constraints. So that was just always my own personal passion. And so it did turn into a career and, and it started... I mean, ironically, I started really in the world of physical transformation, right? So I was a trainer traveling the world with a couple of VIPs, got a, you know, a little bit of notoriety just by virtue of who I was working with. And so that was, um, that was an interesting sort of previous career, but it was still speaking to or looking at the same constructs of how can we access greater versions of ourselves. But in that case, it was, as I said, focused predominantly on our biology and our physiology. So when I really started to have my own awakening and I saw some of my own like fundamental limitations and fears and I transcended them, it truly jettisoned me into this new experience of what it meant to be me, you know, as a, as a upgrade, you know, uh, a sort of a new iteration, a new version of being human that I was previously oblivious to. And so that opened up this whole cascade of experiences and insights and revelations that then I started to share with some of my clients. And they're like, holy shit, that's just like, I've never looked at life that way. And that explains this, that, and the other. And people were starting to put the dots together as to the patterns that they had that were causing them to be in a state of constant survival. So that's how my career started. And then I... um yeah, it's just really word of mouth is how the business actually expanded itself. You know, people were seeing results. And then I think one of the pivotal sort of milestones for me was when I started working with pro athletes about 15 years ago. And I started with golfers out on the PGA Tour, which is, you know, this solo sport. And um, so there's no really can't account for the fact that if you're part of a team, obviously there's many moving parts. This is a guy who's got the same equipment. He's got the same caddy usually, um, oftentimes playing the same golf course. So, you know, to put in this one variable, which was me and shifting perspective. And when my first golfer tripled his winnings in two years, you know, people started to ask questions <laughs> like, yeah. okay, that's pretty good. Um, and then that led into um, probably another dozen more golfers and some LPGA, like the Ladies Golf Tour, which was fun. And then um, then I met this, uh, who's now a very dear friend. He's the athletic trainer of a Major League Baseball team. So he brought me into the fray there. And then I ended up working with that team for a decade. And then by the virtue of the 
sort of the the sport itself, guys get traded all over the place. So before I knew it, I had guys on about like 14 different teams because they've gone from where they originally working with me. And they're like, Hey, even though I'm going to the Yankees or I'm going here to San Francisco, can you still work with me? And I'm like, sure. So it was just, it was just this sort of natural organic growth where, um, I was blessed to attract amazing people who are committed to doing the work and looking at these deep seated patterns of, um, you know, limitation and, finding a a, a new world on the other side of it. And that was reflected particularly in sports because, you know, when you're an athlete with an immense amount of talent, but you can reconcile fear or doubt or anxiety, then you, you just become a better performer period. And the results spoke for themselves. So that's so cool. Yeah. So what kind of, what (laughs) kind of work did you do with them that so improved their game and their earnings and just changed their career so much? Like what were some of the kinds of things that you would talk to them about? Um, I mean, for the most part, you know, there are definitely these themes that overlap for all human beings. And I would say the predominant one is that people are defined by their history. So, you know, I tell people that everything you're worried about is old, like at one level, because it's, it's, something that you know. Now, it's not entirely true because right now what people are quote unquote worried about is the fear of death, right? Like predominantly, if we really break it down, you right. know, it's like I'm going to die, which is so sad because people are so scared of death that they're not actually living, you know, um, yeah. is what's going on right now. But so with my athletes, particularly because it's like obviously performance driven, right? These are guys who are getting paid top dollar. They've got millions of people watching through, you know, devices. They've got usually prior to all of this nonsense, like 50 to 100,000 people potentially in, a, in an auditorium watching or at a, a football field or whatever it is. And so there's an immense amount of pressure when it comes to athletes. So what would happen is, and everyone can relate to this at home, is one of my quotes I say is, past hurt informs future fear. So whenever there's been a disappointment, there's been a failure, um, somebody didn't do very well, then they are now, by virtue of the fact that the brain is designed to help us survive. So what does that mean? It's going to try and predict a future uh, and in order to protect, right? So if we know what's going to happen, then there's a false, it's false, but there's a sense of security, right? So what are these athletes, what, what they had was some past disappointments, which every athlete is going to have because you can't be perfect all the time. Even the best in the world are going to have their failures. And certainly when I got into baseball, that sport is defined by failure. So what I was helping them with really is reconciliation of whatever had gone on before, meaning that they were totally okay with it. They found peace with it. They're accepting of it, which then immediately allows them to be done with it. Right. So it's, it's kind of like emotional indigestion is what I say. Like, you know, if you've eaten some food that your body can't quite handle, you don't have enough strength, your, indi- your uh, digestive force isn't very strong, or maybe you've eaten too quickly after another meal. So your body's still digesting, whatever's going on physiologically that leaves you with a feeling of bloatedness or indigestion. What it's actually saying is your body is unable to process that food currently. So likewise, psychologically, when we go through experiences that are very trying, and obviously most of us do at different points, then sometimes we don't have the capacity to process it. So something around that incident has sort of left a mark, you know, and we could call it the extreme trauma or to sort of more the mundane, like it's just something that was a bit upsetting. So when it's related to somebody's perceived self-worth, which is athletes and their performance, right, is so entangled with their, what they do, their, their own perceived value, 
then of course, when there's been disappointments, it sort of accumulates very quickly to the point that now they're concerned for their livelihood, and rightly so, because if that were to keep going, they lose contracts, they're embarrassing, fans start booing, all of that. So I, I sort of jokingly tell people I give them the gift of conscious Alzheimer's, right? Meaning that you become aware of the fact that you can let go of. It doesn't mean that you forget, but you can let go of realizing that you can't change your history. And one of the, I write in quotes and my book will be um, a series of quotes that I expand on. But one that's gone very viral and I see all the time on people's feeds, fortunately, they're kindly attributing it to me. Um, and it's obviously on my page is that what happened happened and couldn't have happened any other way because it didn't. And when you really, really get that, it's very liberating. Um, And so what most people are doing is going through life with an unreconciled history, not accepting what happened, living in the world of coulda, shoulda, woulda, which puts an immense amount of pressure and judgment on themselves and others, and they're not actually free to perform. So you can see for an athlete, that's a, a massive barrier to good performance. Yeah, so, that causes so much anxiety. Yeah, that would be the flip side, right? So if I'm holding on to something that went uh, uh, sort of against my my personal desires and my history to the point of like embarrassment, I was hurt, I was upset, uh, or as I said, even maybe traumatized, then now the brain, because as I said, it's pre- designed to predict and protect, it's looking out for the same event happening, right? Like in baseball, you know, I had one guy who was a very successful pitcher for the for a New York team, and then he had a couple of bad seasons where his ERA, which means and runs average, meaning the higher it is, the worse it is, because that means they're scoring runs against you. And his ERA got up to about 11 plus, and the best in the league usually end up around three or four, which is good. And so basically he was stepping on the mound with anxiety for the fear that someone was going to get a hit or that he, you know, somebody, he would walk somebody or whatever it was. And, um, anyway, uh, that season we worked together, he had an ERA of less than two. That's amazing. From over 11. Yeah. So it was pretty significant. So So really working on rewriting, not rewriting the history, but just letting go of it. So yeah, right. it's, 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 yes, that would be a good correction. It's letting go of, and letting go of is ironically the byproduct of accepting. So right. most people think letting go of, it's like I'm almost pushing something away. Whereas what we're actually, what I'm speaking to is actually integrating. Right. Accepting that it happened, not pretending like it didn't happen. Yeah. And And realizing that you're human and you're doing the best you can at every turn, right? right. Like it wasn't like in this case with the the pitcher, he wasn't going out there trying to play poorly or give up runs to the other team. It wasn't his intention. He's human. And so there's a lot of room there for compassion and forgiveness that we're all doing the best we can. But to understand that as long as we're still trying to avoid a bad um, future that hasn't happened yet as a reflection of a history that we haven't accepted, then you're, you know, between a rock and a hard place and you are yeah. going to be in a state of anxiety at the extreme or panic. And then at the, you know, the mildest, maybe it's a concern or a worry, but it's still in that realm of basically fear. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And that's applicable to everything. I mean, yep. I find so many parallels there with living with chronic illness and Lyme disease and how hard that has been for the last several years. And just so many things that I couldn't show up for in people's lives, which was so hard. And I find myself thinking about certain things all the time that are truly so trivial. 
JoJo things, as we would say, yeah. like missing out on my best yeah. friend's bachelorette parties and things that really don't even mean that much. But to me, they do because of these stories that I've told myself for so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's hard because yeah. those of us with chronic illness, we really struggle with that yeah. and with the guilt. And then we tell ourselves all these stories. So I'm sure that's something yeah. that you understand. And yeah. I would love your take on that for other people listening who have yeah. been in a similar position. Yeah. So I get it. And obviously, when you and I got together, we spoke a lot about that, right? And you know, much of my background is also in that, we could say, healing modalities. Um, I'm an Ayurvedic practitioner. So looking through the lens of Ayurveda, especially with what's going on right now, just, you know, it doesn't even make sense through that lens, right? right? Like it's totally. all fear-mongering and this is a virus. We are more viruses and bacteria than we are human DNA. Uh, the numbers, which are, first of all, totally inaccurate, like even by the admission of whether you talk to who, the CDC, the Italian health minister who says, you know, that the numbers are probably actually 12% of what they projected. So wow. there's also, yeah, it's, there's, there's all sorts of data out there that's now showing, okay, like we're not denying the presence of the virus. We're not denying the fact that certain people are immune compromised and they're going to be more susceptible. But let's put everything in perspective here. The numbers certainly are accurate. The tests aren't accurate. So there's a lot of speculation. Right. But from the perspective of Ayurveda, the people, ironically, that are more susceptible, and this is from an article that's actually, we could say, from the, if we want to talk about sides, it's from the Western side. It's from the journal, it's called JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association. They recognize the people that are most susceptible to COVID and how it binds are people who are struggling with cardiac disease or obesity or being overweight or they got hypertension because they are put on the two predominant drugs out there, which is statins and ACE inhibitors or you know blood pressure medication. And what they do is they purposely upregulate what's called the ACE2 receptor on a cell, which is where COVID binds. So this is the madness as far as I'm concerned yeah. is that people are you know, thinking, you know, that this industry of pharmaceuticals is going to come up with this, you know, panacea that's going to save the world, that's going to get injected into you, not realizing the very industry that is creating drugs that most of the people are on. Again, not all, I'm, you know, I'm being objective. Some people, there's the random outliers who seem to be healthy, they weren't on medication, but like 99, 98% of the people had some sort of pre-existing comorbidities that they are on drugs. So for me, from the perspective of Ayurveda, right. you know, with all due respect, it's like, why would you think that an industry that is giving people drugs versus like being proactive about helping them be healthy and maybe change their diet and not eat GMO and, you know, be outside and exercising, all the things that now are so commonplace in terms of being healthy. Why, why do we feel that that industry is going to be like the saving grace that's going to be able to set everyone free? It just doesn't even make sense. Through the lens of Ayurveda, where we look at, okay, imbalances and increased toxicities, and we look at Vata, Pitta, Kapha, which are these different energies in the body, and how we can prevent whatever it is, bacterial infections, vir virology, you know, looking through that lens of viruses, because we have a strong immune system and we're healthy. This nation is a sick nation. Right. And I think COVID has been, if there's one saving grace from this, it's exposing so much of where there is these um, massive imbalances in the world, right? Whether it be health and wellness, the clearly the United States is one of the sickest. It's certainly the most medicated. 
Um, there's all of the suppression that's come to the surface, which is disgusting, you know, and in terms of all the, the Black Lives Matter and looking at the oppression of uh, minorities. And even prior to that, you know, what was going on with Me Too, which was the exposure of how poorly women are being treated. You know, so the energy out there is just, it's really not attractive, right? right. Like human beings are pretty disgusting. And we can even see it now with all the anger that's coming out, exactly. right? Like, you know, fuck, if you're not wearing a mask, you're like a, you're a murderer, you know, Absolutely. it's just, which is just a reflection of that person's fear and, and, and I get it and people are scared, but anyway, so through the lens of Ayurveda, which is part of my practice and looking at certainly things like chronic disease and understanding the disease process itself, it's, um, I get that it's difficult. A lot of people do have what they would consider these chronic autoimmune disorders and stuff that you've dealt with and you talk a lot to your audience about. But for me, through the lens of Ayurveda, I always like to remind people that your inherent state is vitality. That's your natural birth-given state. Even if a child, people argue, yeah, but what about a baby that's born sick? Well, I would still assert that beneath the surface of whatever that baby inherited by virtue of being in a woman and a mother that maybe was drinking alcohol or who was compromised herself or something that got across from her blood or her conditioning into the child. But beneath the surface, again, my assertion, just an assertion, is that our true nature is vitality. So then what have we accumulated on top of that? Just like a child, you watch a child play, usually up until about the age of one and a half or two, they are totally free. They're oblivious to the fact that, you know, there's anything wrong or there's anything to worry about or they're bad or, right. you know, they're not loved. And that that comes later, right? So there's the joy of a child that is is it's intoxicating, it's infectious, it's beautiful to witness. And then the first time you do something wrong and you get apprehended for it and your parents are screaming or they're upset, from that moment, you start to compromise your own joy as a child. And then you start to think, oh, wow, just being me is no longer enough. And I would assert that is the start of disease. Wow. I mean, I agree with you. It's all so interconnected, which is just the truth. And I think back to that all the time with Lyme disease, we have so many similarities. Those of us who have Lyme, everybody, but particularly women. And obviously we got mm -hmm. Lyme from a tick bite, but we have so many emotional similarities and things with our upbringing and the fact that it's all so connected with the mind and the body is undeniable. And there's all those studies that show the similarities yeah. between women yeah. who have breast cancer and stories that they've told themselves their whole lives. So just in yeah. line with your work, that stuff is is so real and so true. And it's crazy to think that it goes back in many ways to the stories yeah. that we tell ourselves in our own minds. Yeah, for sure. And I think even the way you just said that right there, it's a little telling, like what was the root for me? Now, if we really were to break that down and look at the subtext and the way that you pose that question, I would assert there's an energy of judgment yeah, for sure. Because right. I'm like, what did I do? Or what, right. what did I not do? Or how did I? Yeah. And I, I at the deepest <laughs> level, I don't judge myself at all. I was, I'm talking about being like so young and, yeah. but I hear what you're saying. But the Absolutely. judgment itself, right, is mm -hmm. pointing towards, so this is one of the most common, like if we were to look at my work and how I help people, and I had literally two clients this morning who this is where they're stuck is there is a fundamental, meaning it's rudimentary to the human in perspective, which is you don't have to create this, it's already there, which is we look through the lens of there's something wrong. Right. Right, and just really take that in. Anyone who's listening right now, I promise you, without any effort, you look through a lens of there's something wrong. Now, depending on who you are, it might be, 
you know, it might be big, it's global. It's like, oh my God, look at what's going on with the new world order and whatever people are believing out there, like that's big and politicians, or it might be small in the fact that, you know, your husband, your spouse, your girlfriend, your mother, like they moved, you know, depends on your desk and they shouldn't have done that, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So it's the real trivial, right? Yeah. But either way, they're looking through the lens of there's something wrong. So why what I picked up on, just even in the way you posed that point, is that there's an underlying judgment that it isn't the way it should be. Yeah. Right? Part of me feels that way. I mean, I'm with you all the way. The work that you do, I believe in it 100%. But still, many days of my life, I wake up and I feel like something is not right because I feel sick or tired or a million other things that are so challenging and so many people deal with. I get it. And listen, I'm not denying the fact that as physiological, very complex organisms, you know, there are going to be a myriad of different things that can impact our overall state, like how we feel, right? So I'm not denying the the byproducts of having Lyme disease. But what I want you to consider is that if in the absence, and this is purely as a, a sort of an experiment, if there was the absence of the dialogue, the subtext, that this is wrong, and it's not the way it should be, then at least what you have is, okay, there may still be the presence of Lyme disease. And I'm not saying that you would be suddenly free of the symptoms of a little fatigue or low energy or whatever it is. But what you would be free of is the internal suffering, the dis-ease emotionally of the judgment of the disorder. Now that's huge because that to me is at least a step in the direction of vitality and allowing the flow of your own well-being in the absence of your own conflict to reality, right? Where again, one of my quotes, I say, life is the way it is, but only always. Right, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so when you get that, it's like, okay, to what degree has Jordan not fully integrated, accepted, embraced, and even at the extreme, loved that for whatever reasons and way that perhaps you don't fully understand, Lyme is at this stage, this stage of your life, precisely where you're meant to be. Right. And that's true. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, I now, do. but if you just, even as you're with me, present time, sitting here face to face across the table, like if you could just, just for a split second, truly get that you are precisely where you're meant to be right now. Forget about the three years and the stories and I wake up and I didn't go to my friend's bachelor, BS, but it's done, right? You've right. got no memory. Right now, if you and Lime are the exact, the divinely intended place for you to be, what would that elicit in the way that you could feel right now about it? It would feel amazing. I mean, it does feel amazing. <laughs> like I can right. feel it so deeply. I could cry. It feels yeah. like returning home to me. Amazing, the me because it is. that I love. Beautiful. Yes. Which I can tap into in my really good moments with meditation and doing this work and yeah. tuning in to myself, you know, after a session with you and those kinds of things. But it feels like returning home to me. Yes. Because I... I love myself. I think I'm a great person. You are. You're a total and sweetheart. So yeah. coming back to that is such a relief. Yes. Yeah, so and not having to tell myself I'm not a good person for all these reasons. Right. Yeah. Which is so sad, really. It is. And that's just the narrative that really is killing people, you know, internally because they have these dialogues with themselves, which again are going back to these primal subconscious patterns of inadequacy that I help reveal. So the narratives that people are aware of, I'm not enough, or I'm a bad person, or I'm not wanted, or I'm a failure, all of this stuff that people hear is the disease, the dis-ease that people are experiencing. Right. So what you just beautifully said by I'm returning home only confirms what I said earlier, which is that you're 
your inherent nature is well-being. It's vitality. Right. You just, just with me, and I can see it in your face and your eyes and your body demeanor, is that you just stepped back into your true nature. And I would assert the words that come to mind are freedom and peace and love. Yeah. Right? The best. Yeah, the best that's what feelings. everyone's looking for. They're exactly. just under the impression that they're only going to find it when their circumstances are perfect. Right. Oh my God, if I was free of Lyme, I would be amazing. No, right. BS. BS. Because uh-huh. you'd find something else to worry about. Well, exactly. <laughs> and that's always the truth. Right? Every time I've gotten something that I've wanted, whether yeah. it be physical appearance or um, marriage or anything, yeah. there's always something new to worry about. Of course. Always. From the lens of the mind that can never be fulfilled because its very nature, the ego, is inadequacy. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's the thing to notice is what you just tapped into literally in the last few minutes in front of me, in front of all of these listeners is what I would assert is what I'm revealing for people. Your true essence. Right. That is is what everyone's looking for. They're under the impression more money, a better body, the right job, the right partner, the right home. That's, oh, fuck, I'm going to be amazing at that point. I'm like, no, you won't because I work with people who have all of that and they're still miserable and they can't relate to their spouse and their children hate them and whatever it is and they're still sick. So it's about finding true harmony with reality as it is. And that takes a big human being to go, okay, can I be with, and this is one again, one of my expressions, can I be with what is? I love that. And if you could just for a minute, you know, and you did it, but to do this ongoingly, go, okay, right now in ways that I don't understand, and that's where it can be scary and confusing, I have Lyme. I have the diagnosis of Lyme. Maybe in ways that you don't even know, your body's already dealing with it and it's like going to be gone in a week or two weeks. So again, if that were the prognosis, way before the symptoms have left your body, you would be in a state of peace and excitement for the fact that your future holds this freedom from something that's troubled you for so long. Right. Right? So that's where you have the power to at least, rather than trying to fix your history, be committed to a future that inspires you. And that's an entirely different way to look at life. Right now, we are in a reactionary mindset across the world, especially as it relates to this COVID thing. We try to kill germs. We try to fight germs. People are freaking covering their body head to toe with sanitizer, which is, you know, one of the worst things they can do in terms of their microbiome. Mm -hmm. It's toxic. You know, they're killing their natural ability to protect themselves. But it's all fear that's driving that behavior as a reaction. Most people go to the gym as a reaction. They don't want to be out of shape. They don't want to be overweight. Versus what are you working towards? What are you creating? What are you committed to? Right? And so we just, as a society, as a species, are very reactive. Somebody says something and you get upset. Like somebody sees someone not wearing a mask and they get angry. You know, <laughs> yes. it, It's just, it's nuts, right? And so for you, as a, as a pioneer in your space, as somebody who's an inspiration for so many, you can start to, through your own narratives, through hopefully podcasts like this, help people say, okay, what are you committed to? What is the future you're working towards versus the history that you're trying to get away from? Like my athletes. My athletes, whether it be the NBA guy who had the worst free, sh- free throw shooting average, 37%, the league average was 75 not good. He's trying to get away from missing. The guy on the mound who had an ERA of 11, he's trying to get away from giving up runs. Doesn't work. It doesn't work because what you're actually doing is dragging history around with you and you're just trying to fix it, which last I checked, no one can do. Exactly. What you can do is learn to accept 
be in harmony with the present moment. Things are the way they are. I'm not saying they're ideal. I'm not condoning behavior. People have been through some shitty times. Like you see what's going on in the world. Like, you know, we witnessed the George Floyd. We, God knows how many of those things happen behind closed doors that we don't see. And thank God that a lot of it's coming to the, 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 the limelight so that we can actually be responsible for and help people. But how much of that is going on where we are now constantly trying to avoid, as I said, a bad future that hasn't happened yet versus working towards one that we are feeling inspired to create. I love that. It's a totally different mindset. Totally different. That's like the ultimate goal to step into the future that we're calling in and manifest it in that way. That's what we're all here for is to really reframe that mindset. So I love what you're saying and I couldn't couldn't feel it deeper in my bones, Peter. It's so good. Yes. And the most important part is to also be the resonance of it, be the frequency of it. Like again, I say frequency precedes form. And so what happens is most things that people want are a reaction to what they don't want. So if somebody wants money, it's usually because they're in a position of debt. If somebody wants health, it's usually because they're in a position of disease. If they want a relationship, it's usually because they're in a position of loneliness. So that kind of wanting is only going to be fulfilling on the very absence of what they want because you're reinforcing whatever got you into that position in the first place versus recognizing, wait a minute, I am the essence. Just as you just right here displayed so beautifully by me giving you a context to look at Lyme, you know, you said, I feel like I'm at home. At that moment, and you know, it's transitory and you can practice it, but at that moment, there wasn't anything you were wanting for. Right. But the energy of wanting itself dissipates because wanting creates time. It's future-based, right? If I want something, I'm actually saying I don't have it. Right. So now I'm actually reinforcing the lack mentality, which is a frequency that's going to afford me more lack. (laughs) Yeah. Which is why when people have gratitude practices or they say, you know, at the end of the day, write down things, five things you're grateful for, what that's actually appealing to is the energy of having. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for X. Well, then what I'm saying is I have X. So now what that's doing is rising the tide of the gratitude within me, specific to this one thing, but it's actually also helping me to have an energy of gratitude, period, which itself, in terms of manifestation, is the precursor to other having things that are actually more in alignment with what I want. Right. (laughs) It's an amazing way to live. Yeah. It's it's the only way I know, (laughs) the way that I want to inspire people to wake up, you know? Would you say that you live this way all the time? Like I do now. I certainly didn't, you know, right. and, and, and all the time is certainly going to be a broad stroke. I would say like 99% of the time I'm That's in the amazing. state of total freedom. It's what I preach. It's what I practice. I yeah. want to be the living inspiration of it for people. Well, that's what you are. I mean, yeah. everywhere you are, everywhere I've seen you and all the different places that we've come into contact with each other. Yeah. That's definitely the mirror that you hold up to others. You well, thank you. are happy. You walk through life with yeah. ease is, is the feeling. And that's such yeah. a good feeling. Yeah. And yeah. what a beautiful way to live. I, I thank you. I really do get it again. Like the acknowledgement, it really just feels great, right? Because I do want to be that beacon of hope and possibility for people. And again, I'm still human. And I really want people to understand just because I have that essence, it doesn't mean that my life is perfect, right? And again, I don't even like that word, right? Because, you know, people are like, oh, life is perfect if you're spiritual, right? You know, and if you're not spiritual, then life certainly isn't perfect. (laughs) But either way, (laughs) it's a subjective analysis, right? Yeah. I like to really look at life as the way it is. 
Yeah. And depending on your perspective, you're going to declare whether it's good or bad just based on your point of view. It's not good or bad. Like I shared in a podcast recently, you know, Shakespeare's quote, he said, nothing is either good nor bad, only thinking makes it so, which is really beautiful. So for me, I want people to understand I am not free of trials and tribulations. There are things for me to manage. You know, I have bills to pay. I have things, you know, I'm now in a state called California where... From my perspective, we have terrible leadership, you know, using words like we will hunt you down if you're the right. mayor of, uh, you know, we will, we want people to snitch on you. If, you know, if you see someone at the beach by themselves, let us, I mean, this is a, you know, this is just for me a very hideous energy. And so I'm living in this state and that certainly brings to question, do I want to live here? Do I even want to live in this country if we're going to be enforced, you know, to be traced and jabbed with chemicals and, you know, toxins. And, I know. You know, think- that's just a personal preference. So what I want people to understand is, like, I still have to deal with life, but I am in what I call a position of harmony with life, right? I'm, I'm, um, I say I have an intimate relationship with reality. That's amazing. And that's it is the way it is. A good and way to live. You deal with it or you don't. Right? right. It's like Yoda. You know, yeah. like, do or do not. There is no try. Right? right. And so for me, it's do or do not. There is no problem. I love that. I and love that so much. It's freedom with responsibility. And this is the issue. Not a lot of people want to be responsible. They'd right. rather, you know, point fingers and blame and be a victim, which again is automated. So there's no even judgment of that. But like I literally was talking to someone again this morning as a new client. And for him to recognize it's not his mum that was creating mm-hmm. his frustration was just such a revelation. You yeah, know? It's a re- it is a revelation when you <laughs> held all of this, all these feelings toward people. I mean, honestly, I hope my parents listen to this episode just because <laughs> this is so transformative mm-hmm. for them with like situations they've been in with other people yeah. in our lives and family members. And yeah. it's never the other person. It's always you. I always, mean, it's you always, that you have to always, come home always. to at the end of the day. 100%. And that's the only way to really have a, have a powerful life. And if mm-hmm. people talk about all of this sort of, especially here in LA, manifestation and wanting the life you want and all of that, the only way you can ever get to have that is by recognizing you're 100% responsible for your life. There is no victimhood, none whatsoever. It occurs that way. It seems that way. It feels that way. But that is all the subjective experience. It's not the actuality of the physics. Somebody may say something and do something, and I'm not condoning. Sometimes there are things that are done, particularly physically, right, that are just abhorrent. Like we've seen this, like especially in the last few months, all of the disgusting behavior as, as it relates to oppression and certainly of minorities. But nonetheless, in ways that we can't always understand the karmic journey of a being is nonetheless your responsibility. We attract circumstances for you talking here today. What is it that attracting Lyme into your life is part of your soul's evolution? Why, why did my mom die at six when I was seven? Sorry. When, when, why did my mom die when I was, uh, my dad died when I was 17? Like I could easily turn around and say, that's bullshit. Life's not fair. There's no God. This is miserable. You know, which would then leave me as a victim of the circumstances of those deaths. Right. And I'm orphaned, you know, before I'm even an, an adult at 18. Or I can go, okay, in ways that I don't necessarily understand, I may not even agree with, and I certainly don't want, my parents passed. That's what happened. So either I can, as I said, have an intimate relationship with reality and get on with my life, and in my case, live a life that they could be proud of, 
Or I can just be an eternal victim and I could be at 40 and 50 and bitter and resigned and cynical about an event that happened, you know, three decades ago. Right. And that's just unfortunately how most people live, which is, as far as I'm concerned, again, going back to the lens of Ayurveda, the precursor to most people's sickness is because they are living with these histories that they haven't reconciled. They're dragging around with them, which is exhausting. They're, they're fatigued, you know, beyond belief. Their adrenals are shot. They've got the Hashimoto's. They've got whatever they've got mm -hmm. going on. They're inflamed because they're in an internal battle. Inflammation being the precursor, you know, even in Western lens of all sickness. Right. Which is externally, you know, if you look at it, inflammation, when people are inflamed, they're angry, they're at war with themselves or war with others, which is this conflict of narratives where we're judging others, we're in conflict with them. And you start to see the whole shitstorm of why people are so unwell and why they need medication, exactly. you know, which only makes them more vulnerable at the end of the day. Exactly. And again, it's no judgment. I know people have diseases that they've had for a long time and autoimmune and people need medication to literally stay alive, but it's not a very fulfilling way to live if there is an alternative, if people could become more responsible and wake up to the patterns of deep insecurity, inadequacy, scarcity, fear, that is a precursor to the physiological reflection of that, that then leads to the external exogenous needing of chemicals. That's, you know, that is a slippery slope of demise that nobody wants to be on. No one's standing out there going, oh, I can't wait to be, you know, injected with drugs <laughs> and like, yeah, sign me up. That sounds right. so fun. I know. It's purely a as a survival reaction. It's but if true. there is an alternative where people can wake up and recognize the power of emotion and mind over physiology, and of course, congenitally, some people are predisposed to certain things and they need more help, they need more support, and we do whatever we can to help them. Um, but it, it would give rise to an entirely different society. It would yeah. really be such for me, it would be such a beautiful place for humans to live where we come from a place of unity, kindness, compassion, acceptance, and vitality. So I wanted to talk to you about, about that, about um, yeah. the loss of your parents at such a young age and everything that you went through. Yeah. Because I really truly feel like the hardest things yeah. we go through in this life are our greatest gift. They become our greatest gift. Even when there's nothing more challenging in the world than thinking of you as a little boy losing your family, there's there's nothing worse. But how do you feel that that childhood that you had tied into the work that you do now? And also, do you feel like it fits in to everything you do? Because from my point of view, I feel like it, it totally does. So I'm curious how you feel like it fits in. I think it does. And in, in ways that maybe at the, the time, I just couldn't fully fathom, you know, like I was in just pure survival, like most people are throughout their entire lives. And certainly now, you know, I'm an orphan boy. I don't have any parents. I'm, you know, I'm an only child. And I think in ways that I didn't fully comprehend, but now I'm aware of is that I had the visceral experience of isolation, of loneliness, right? So why I put the emphasis on visceral is like, I actually got the physical experience of being by myself, and again, going back to how we started this conversation, which I assert humans want the sense of belonging, like we're social animals, we want to feel a sense of love and acceptance. So this was the actual practical, physical experience of not having that. And I don't think there's anything worse for any human being to experience, which is why right now, and it's just devastating that literally, according to some accounts, you know, again, people might poo-poo this, but I'm pretty confident more people are dying of suicide right now than COVID. And that is the physiological extension and reflection of total isolation and powerlessness and worthlessness, right? right? It's all just hopeless. 
So it's devastating. It's beyond sad. It's heartbreaking. So I had that experience when I was 17 years old. And why I think it's allowed me to have so much compassion for people in the way that I work now, and I can sit patiently with people regardless of what they've been through, whatever they've done, and hold a space of love and acceptance for them, is because I know where they're speaking from is that energy of complete isolation and hopelessness. And I would assert that is one of the primal um, characteristics of the ego, is the ego is an isolated unit. Right? And then that's the ego that is trying to, whatever it's doing, like, you know, look sexy, look smart, look successful. It is trying to garner love and acceptance from the external world because fundamentally it feels alone. The irony is beneath that, like I was saying to you earlier, I feel like your essence and everybody's essence is true wellness and vitality. So likewise, beneath the facade of the ego, this persona that we've built over time as a protection mechanism, there is unity. You know, when we say namaste, the divine in me recognizes the, number, the, the divine in you, or whether you believe in physics and it's a unified field, um, or in Christianity, the kingdom of the Lord is within you, or in Buddhism, you, know, you are Buddha. Whatever it is that we're pointing to, I would assert, is where we're all connected. That is where we all recognize something, whether you call it soul, spirit, whatever, that is within each of us. And so the game that I'm helping people play is transcending persona, ego, and this fundamental feeling of isolation and separation such that you can fall naturally into the place of unity. So rather than, you know, that is completely the opposite of the world that's being created right now, whether we agree that it's being done intentionally or not, this diversiveness where people are becoming scared of one another you know, where they're screaming at each other because you're too close, you're not wearing a mask, you are wearing a mask, like whatever the fucking argument is, uh-huh. you know, yet underneath it, there is really this craving for safety right now, for health, and f- to feel held, which is really where we can all recognize that there is a connection, there's a, there's a continual theme there, which is that we all have the same desires at heart. And so for me, yes, that moment of sitting there, I was actually standing in my bedroom back in England, you know, realizing I was totally by myself was a devastating place to be. Yeah. And I had no clue what was going to happen. So, you know, I think in reflection and hindsight now, I can see that that did set me up to have an immense amount of patience with people and complete compassion for the fact that they feel inadequate. They feel like it's pointless. They feel like they're not enough. They feel like they're not wanted. They feel like they're a failure. I get it. I get it. And that allows me to, you know, love them for where they're at and then help them see that actually that's just part of the narrative that they collected over time. So how did you get through that? Um, (laughs) I often joke just a lot of alcohol, but it's it's a bad joke because it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a lot of alcohol. No, 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 no. no. I mean, I had. Don't get me wrong. I, I had some fun nights when I was in college, but no, I yes. haven't. I haven't drunk for a couple of decades. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I you know, occasionally I'll celebrate with my athletes, and you know, right, if, again, right. it's not like when I first got into America, it was so funny. Like, I go out with some guys to a bar, and they're like, "Oh, you're not going to drink?" And I'm like, "No, no, I'm good." They're like, "Oh, you're sober." I'm like. Well, yeah, I'm sober because I'm not drinking. Right. <laughs> it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't register for me that that meant you're like part oh, of AA yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Because like, that wasn't part of my growing up. Yeah. I didn't have friends who had problems, you know. That makes sense. So, no, I will still enjoy once in a while a glass of wine at a dinner or like I'll definitely pop a beer. Like, you know, when we've made it into the playoffs with some of my teams or one of my guys won a golf tournament, you know, it's fun just to crack up. Yeah. But, but to me, uh, yeah, exactly. Just for fun. Um, but no, so it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't through the bottom of a bottle that I found awakening. 
Um, it was through adversity. It was through, you know, really like uh, going back to what I was saying for you, the gifts that we're given that are trying, um, even though we might not want them, it's to what can we find on the other side of what seems like, uh, you know, this sort of death sentence. Uh, for me at the time, this is now 20 plus years ago, it was being in love with somebody and they left me. That was one of my biggest, that, that cracked the dam. Uh, to start me uh, on this journey of reconciling um, all of these old fears, in that case, loss, right? You know, and you don't have to be a rocket scientist to make the connection. That yeah. I found someone I was in love with and I felt super close to her. I thought she was the person I loved versus being the catalyst to reveal the love that was my nature, which is an entirely different distinction, right? Totally. <clears throat> so when she decided to go, which is life's way of setting me up for success, even though it was like, pain in my ass to start with. And I was devastated, couldn't sleep, lost weight, calling on my friends, trying to figure out how do I get this girl back, which is really my soul's desperate or my ego's desperate attempt to try and regain love that it had actually never lost, right? So that was that was probably the biggest, biggest turnaround for me is to recognize. And at that point, I also realized I never lost my parents. They died. Yeah, wow, you know, that's the, a big shift. The story of loss just dissipated. There was no loss. Form comes and goes. Wow. And that's a totally different relationship. Like even you and I sitting here for 45 minutes or whatever it's been, we both, quote, unquote, lost lots, millions of cells. Yeah. And we're not freaking out about it, right? Uh-huh. You know, because that's the nature that's of life. So it's dynamic. True. It's in constant flux. So what were some of the tools that you used to cope during that time and to heal? Like meditation, for example. And I know you're very into Ayurveda and you've studied a lot of Ayurveda. So what were some tools? Yeah, they were all things that I was just sort of curious and fascinated by for my own sort of bent of interest in health optimization, which is why I'm so fastidious about, you know, people getting well. Because right now, especially with what's going on, we're a sick nation, especially here in the States. And uh, this is like, you know, we have a disease care system, right? It's got nothing to do with healthcare whatsoever. Um, And so those things that I pursued was really just for me to explore my own sense of possibility as it relates to my health and vitality. You know, Um, I'm a lot older than people think. And yet I'm playing with like, I play tennis and I'm playing with kids just out of college who are literally half my age. And, you know, it's like, I'd like to be proud to say that I can whip their ass too. I'm certainly as quick as, if not faster, you know? So again, that's not something to brag about. It's just like, hopefully it's an inspiration for people to say that you don't have to be on a myriad of drugs and feeling like every ache and pain in your body and whatever it is that people deal with. So, um, but no, the when it comes to tools, I'm a bit of an anomaly there because I don't really hand out tools. Obviously, there's a lot of things we can do to support, like from breath work to being out in Mother Nature. I'm very right now. I'm looking at a lot of the impact of light uh, as it relates to our brain and our circadian rhythm. So, like getting morning sunlight that helps to set your circadian clock, so that hopefully then you have a better night's sleep, which is a precursor to a better day. Right. I do a lot of. Um, as I said, sort of in the world, it's called biohacking. I don't like that term, but so I do infrared saunas. I do ice plunges. You know, my food is sort of, I would say, pretty meticulously curated. Like it's Ayurvedic based. It's predominantly vegan. I'm not vegan. I don't believe any labels, but it's predominantly plant-based. So you could say these are all tools, but at the time, the number one tool, which (laughs) I realize can be a little bit uh, unsatisfactory for people is just awareness. It is once you see, it is the knowing. In yoga, there's something called jnana yoga, which is where you're using intellect for awakening. Like you have the epiphany. That itself then is the, the reconciliation of needing tools, right? So 
The one example I give, it wasn't that long ago, just over 2,000 years ago, that we thought the world was flat. And we had evidence for it, right? Like you go outside and certainly if you had a big vista, you could see a horizon way off in the distance that is clearly pretty flat. And so, you know, our, our, our ancestors were under the impression, therefore, that the world is flat. It's just this one plane. Now, if I ask you, within that context of thinking the world is flat, what does that elicit as a fear? Falling off the edge. A hundred percent, right? It's just inextricably connected to that perception. Right. It arises with the view, right? So, and that's really pivotal to understand. Now, <clears throat> if... In that position, you know, people are looking for tools in that construct of the world is flat, then a tool might be, I don't know, maybe you have a bracelet and it beeps as you get closer to the edge. That would be a great tool, right? Mm -hmm. But it keeps you in the current paradigm. It keeps you in the current construct, right? right? So you've actually gone nowhere. And this is how most people live their lives. They go to experts, whether it be like, you know, in the Western world with psychiatrists, psychologists and, and doctors, obviously, or they might work with you know, some coaches or spiritual teachers. But unless you help people see the paradigm they're currently in and the construct that they're stuck in, all you're doing is making them more comfortable in the current arena. That makes so much sense. (laughs) So, you know, which I'm not a fan of. Like, it's just you becoming, you know, like this improved version of someone who's actually stuck. Right. Right. Okay, great. You live in a small apartment and you made it prettier, but you're still in the same apartment. Uh Uh-huh. Right? So I'm about knocking down walls and building a mansion. Right yes. now, you live in a different space. So, to come back to that analogy, when they discovered that actually, oh my God, we were so wrong, the world's not flat, which is what I'm hoping will happen now when people discover how wrong they are about this virus. Yeah. There won't be all the reactions, there won't be all the tools that we need. Is that the, the, the world is a sphere and we're actually held to it by gravity. So, then you don't need to worry about falling off the edge. So, then where's the tool? You don't need the tool because awareness introduced you to a new way of living that was now, un, it, it didn't require any tool to survive the previous paradigm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So for me, when I introduce somebody to a new space that is on the other side of the current one that they're living in that is confined, then yes, there may be some suggestions on how to live. Because a lot of people are like, oh my God, like I literally had a client today who was like, holy shit, like, what am I going to do with all this time and energy now that I'm no longer, like, throwing pity parties for myself, Mm -hmm. thinking that I'm a victim of how I was brought up? Right. So there is maybe then some guidance for what can you create on this new tapestry, this blank canvas that I'm showing you, for sure. But tools, to me, are something to do more with the energy of trying to fix a problem, which is therefore only reinforcing the belief that you've got one. That makes sense. Okay, good. That's such a good way to think about it. Yeah, so the awareness of a new space, a new paradigm, a new construct, a new dimension is the access to the world where you don't need tools. Exactly. Because tools are, as I said, they are a... They're ancillary too. They are the fix of, they are the byproduct of these deeper seated feelings of inadequacy, suffering, dis-ease. But you're still in the same space. You haven't gone anywhere. Totally. I'll give you an example, which I think is very powerful. Uh, I had a client who, this is many years ago, he was just about to go and see his family for Thanksgiving. And he is very, very, very Catholic family. So there were sort of all of these rules imposed because of the narrative of Catholicism, right? Again, they're not real. I mean, they're real. They're not true. It's just what people believe and they adopt and they inherit and they keep and whatever. 
And all, you know, all respect to whatever people want to believe, but it's just, you've got to understand it's not a truth. But within the construct of his family, he was an outlier because he had a kid with someone who he wasn't married to. So right there, his, there's his first F up, right? So he's already concerned about how he's perceived by his family. He's going to Thanksgiving. He knows his relationship with this woman is not good. And he knows that it's going to come to an end. So he comes to see me and he says, you know, I don't know what to do. And as is the world that we live in, which is zeros and ones, it's binary. And unfortunately, it's run by a lot of people who know zeros and ones, and they just look through the lens of binary. Then he was like, well, should I go with my partner? Because if I go with our kid, who was very young, I think like 12, 18 months, then my parents are going to assume everything's okay. But it's not. So now there's a form of lie going on. But if I don't go with her, then they're going to wonder, well, why didn't she come with you? And they're going to assume things aren't okay, right? So he was in this conflict, which is where most of us go. We think it's left or right, good or bad, right or one, you know, whatever it is. And I said, well, actually, you're missing the point, which is you don't have a loving relationship with your family. You're living in fear, which is a reflection of the fact that you think you're a bad person, you've done something wrong, you're a failure, you've disappointed, whatever his dialogue was. And so I said, take her, don't take her. It makes no difference until you actually reconcile the cage that you're stuck in, which is you don't feel loved and accepted by your own family. Wow. Yeah. And he was just totally blown away and it totally transformed his relationship with his family. And he got to have beautiful, maybe, you know, at times uncomfortable conversations about how he felt he'd let them down. And, you know, so then they actually got to have affinity and intimacy and really like connect energetically. And they loved him for him. Maybe it wasn't the way that they wanted him to live his life, but they loved him. But he was so separated from his family by virtue of his own concerns that he wasn't accepted by them, that now he's trying to survive and come up with strategies to avoid upsetting people. Therefore, he's not actually in a relationship at all. There's no authenticity there. There's no actual honesty. That's so true. That's so huge. (laughs) So a lot of times, basically what you're saying is like the problems that we think we have, that's not even the problem. The problem is something entirely different. Correct. So we can never fix the problem. 100%. And if that's we what we're living with. Problem, that's what we're right? living in. This is the era that we're living in. Totally. The, the issue isn't police, for example. You know, if we look at Black Lives Matter, the issue is that there is ignorance in the way that human beings think that there is a difference between any human being based on the color of their skin. Now, that baby that grew up to, let's say, in this case, be a policeman who's incredibly volatile or hostile or, God forbid, actually abusive to somebody of minority, that was a baby at one point. That baby did not hate African Americans. It didn't know what an African-American was, right? That is a narrative that got adopted by virtue of the environment that he grew up in, or she grew up in, from what he heard, from what his parents said, from the school he went to, maybe the neighborhood he lived in, to the videos that he was shown, to the stories that he heard, to all of these things that then contributed to a dialogue that then became a belief. Totally. And people will kill for beliefs. We've seen this in religious wars. We're seeing it now, you know, and and this is where, unfortunately, people are so uh, misguided by the narratives that they inherit, whether it be through religion or whatever, whatever it is. No, again, no slide on anything. Believe in whatever you want to believe. But when it becomes a excuse for hostility and animosity towards another, God forbid, oppression, 
you know, the fact that people think, you know, women are less than or whatever it might be. If you live in that world, similar to what I was saying about the planet, thinking that it's flat, then you are going to try and avoid living, you know, near the edge. You don't want to fall off the edge. If you're under the misguided impression that women are somehow less, they should be mistreated or African-Americans are less or Asians are less, well, then you have no choice to behave from that narrative. It's a form of programming which is what's going on right now. People are being programmed, you know, to believe in all of this fear, which is already in them. I did a video on my Instagram talking about COVID isn't creating fear. It's just not. It's revealing the fear that's the fear already that in humans. Have, for sure. Yeah. And, and we can see there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of people who are hurt and scared and it's all coming out in these, you know, at times very unattractive ways. And that's okay. We have love and compassion, but people, as far as I'm concerned, have massive opportunity here to wake up and get educated and start to use discernment and intelligence and become, you know, their own their own um, light worker in recognizing, wow, am I really falling? for the fear that is very primal. It's okay. Again, there's like, you know, compassion for that. Or am I dealing with like the real physics? Because how many people right now are scared who are never going to have one issue as it relates to COVID? Not one. But they are living in fear as though they have it. Millions. And I mean, we're not even talking about the millions of lives that truly have been devastated. People who've lost their livelihood, sometimes multi-generational businesses that have just vanished, you know, because of what I would assert is just... Awful leadership and, you know, fear-mongering at the extremes. And again, just my opinion, maybe some of your listeners will think that, you know, I, I'm, I'm an idiot for that and that's okay. You know, I just, uh, again, my life works. I've seen incredible what people would consider miracles by the virtue of people waking up and not living in Definitely. fear. And, you know, and and I, I am just so committed to coming from love and care that people can truly wake up and find what they truly want, which is real safety real health, real love, real freedom, you know, not that's dependent on some sort of exogenous control or devices or drugs or that. That's, again, maybe some people want to sign up for that. I don't know. That's up to them. But I, I don't believe at the deepest level that anybody wants to live that life. I totally agree with you. Yeah. And I think people listening will feel similarly. I mean, yeah, that's what we want is that freedom of awakening and not being stuck in that fear. Yeah. So yeah, there's nothing there's nothing that to me is more dissatisfying, disempowering and fundamentally, you know, uh, miserable as a way to live life, but in a constant state of fear, perpetual. And then it's totally. got all the physiological ramifications, you know, for people who might know a little bit about the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system that's split into sympathetic and parasympathetic. Sympathetic is known as fight or flight. So most people are in somewhat of a mild to severe constant state of fight or flight. It's a Uh, terrible way to live, let me tell you, because I have been in and out of it. I mean, I'm sure we all have. Yeah, and it's normal. And again, it gets a bad rap because sometimes it's awesome to have, right? Like, you know, if you suddenly see a car coming out of the corner that you didn't notice and you're about to step into the road, a quick shot of adrenaline to help you move backwards and not get hit, that's amazing. But to live perennially there because you're constantly worried about a bad future or this fear of whatever it is that you're being told to worry about, then you are already in a state of disease that is the precursor to that manifesting in some form or another in your body, regardless of whether you get a virus or not. Like, I mean, it's not about that at all. It's about the degree to which you're able to be with life and not be in a state of constant reaction. It's Uh, so true. I mean, yesterday, 
I um, I started seeing a new doctor and got my lab results yesterday, mm-hmm. which were um, largely about my adrenals being super fatigued, mm-hmm. no cortisol, so constantly living in this mm-hmm. state of adrenaline. If I have yeah. any energy at all, it's because of adrenaline, right. but due to my hormones and yeah. wherever that came from, yeah. which is just this state of anxiety and yeah. that caused the disease and inflammation or vice versa, both caused each other. Yes. And it was very, um, it was actually a, an amazing thing for me to hear yeah. because I felt like, okay, I can handle that. Like everything yeah. else with Lyme and so many other things that I've been told and dealt over the years, like it feels so unmanageable, Yeah. but that, okay, I can work on that. Like yeah. I'll take the supplements for the adrenals. I'll do this. I'll stop drinking coffee, mm-hmm. trying to get on a better sleep cycle. Amazing. But ultimately I will just try to find a lot more ease in my life and my Bingo. body. Um, I love that. And that's what we're talking about here, which is yeah. the Timing really is everything. And the yeah. fact that I had that yesterday right. and you're here today and we're talking about all this is yeah. amazing yeah. and no coincidence Not as at I all. always believe. Um, I want to talk a little bit about- Can I just say something before you get on to the next point? Because sure. it's such a powerful point for people to understand, which is we think of us as a space or a container. And I literally was using the example of like the kid who gets bullied in the school playground growing up, you know, whether it be at kindergarten or wherever, we call it primary school, you know, like junior high, whatever, right? Like so, but the energy exchange between both beings is such that the kid that's being bullied by the perpetrator of the bully is energetically somehow attracting that circumstance. He is a space, a container for the fear, the inadequacy, the less than in ways that he may be oblivious to. And so there's no fault, you know, and obviously we want to help and protect that kid. And equally, the, the bully needs love, right? Because that's where he's trying to dominate, which is what we've got a lot of right now because he's scared. So he's using his fear and survival to try and control circumstance and control others. So really, for you, what I love about what you just shared is you're recognizing that it's all about conditioning. It's all about the container. So certain diseases, again, through the lens of Ayurveda, can only exist because of the container's condition, right? So very simple metaphor or analogy. If we had 10 lettuces that were growing in our backyard, you know, and, you know, it comes to the point that the lettuces are grown, but there's this one that's at the end and it's just, it, it, it's really not performed. It doesn't look as good. The others are like vital and they're luscious and they're full and they're strong. And we're like, oh, what happened here? We wouldn't go, that's a shitty lettuce or that's a bad lettuce, which is how we tend to look at humans. Right. We would look at, okay, what were the circumstances around that lettuce? Maybe in ways that we were oblivious because we weren't there watching it all day, that corner of like the, the, the area where they're growing didn't actually get much sunlight. Or maybe because it was slightly higher that it didn't get the same amount of water. Or maybe that soil at that end was a little bit eroded. I don't know. But we would understand as a gardener that actually what I want to do is make sure that the circumstances are ripe for the evolution of whatever it is that I want to grow. Likewise with disease. You know, if you have a closet in your house and there's a little bit of dampness because you've thrown in laundry into one corner and you haven't dealt with it for a while, that is a ripe environment for some mold to grow. Exactly. (laughs) Right? It's not like it's bad mold. It's like, oh, okay, if you create the environment for me, then I will show up. 
So what I love as a reflection to you and hopefully what your audience can hear is like, what are the circumstances that you are creating, whether they're conscious or not? And that's why we have patience and compassion, but let's bring more awareness. What is the culture that I'm creating in my blood, in my physiology, and particularly in my mind and in my emotional state, which is the precursor to the dis-ease, whether it be emotional or physiological, that is allowed to show up in those conditions? That is the power of, you know, now what people understand as, say, epigenetics, right? Like that we have our DNA and we turn on different proteins or not, depending on the culture. Likewise, with this whole COVID thing, as I said, based on JAMA, like a journal that is really recognized and and, uh, respected out there, the condition of a lot of people was that they were compromised with this upregulated ACE2 receptor. That's because they're on statins and ACE inhibitors. So the condition allowed for versus for somebody else who's maybe not taking those drugs, they're asymptomatic or they go through two or three days of some mild symptoms and they're fine, right? So again, the best we can do for humans and why I appeal to people so much is let's do what we can to create an environment within ourselves, within our homes, within our blood, within our mind that is the precursor to vitality. Mm -hmm. Then whatever we face, because you better believe this is not going to be the last virus that human beings see or the last bacteria. There's literally like, I think it's one to the 31 zeros or whatever it is, viruses out there. You know, it's just nuts, right? But if you can really at least be responsible, be committed to, be inspired by creating the best version of myself as best as I can. And of course, as I said, we have limitations, whether it be resources, whether it be the access to stuff, whether it be finances, but the best we can, let's make ourselves vital, create the conditions for a thriving lifestyle so that we are at least best prepared for whatever comes our way, whether it be some exogenous form, you know, a virus or bacteria, or it might be being laid off from the workplace, or it might be the death of a loved one, or, you know, whatever it is that's happening, the more quote unquote integral we are in mind, body, and spirit, the better prepared we are to deal with anything that life brings mm-hmm. us. It's so true. So true. So I'm glad that you're looking at that and you're making some adjustments. And then, you know, because I would assert Lyme can only exist in certain conditions too, right? Completely. So, you know, let's change the conditions and see if that puppy decides to get out of here. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm not living here. This is a miserable place to live, which, you know, is a bigger conversation, but this is what I talk about cancer a lot too. Right, right. Yeah. It's a cell that doesn't want to live in such a hostile existence for people. Exactly. Based on, you know, their internal dialogues of suffering and misery and self-worth and, you know, shitty food and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. I know, it's crazy. It's a deeper conversation. It is, but that's a really interesting conversation, (laughs) amazing conversation. Mm -hmm. Speaking of that, you were in the documentary Heal. Yes. And yeah. that was such a fantastic documentary. It so was, exciting when I was watching it and I saw you come on there. I was like, I know him. He's the best. <laughs> it was such a lovely film. And I just love Kelly, you know, to death who, who directed best. and narrated it. And mm-hmm. Such a dear friend. I've worked with her for many years. And obviously for me at the time and, and even now, it was just such a uh, privilege to be along so many great teachers who certainly been out there in the public domain a lot longer than me and they've all got books and you know so it was it was, um, it was very humbling just to be included and it uh, certainly seems to have had a big impact certainly the, for the, sure the response we've gone from a lot of people it's truly uh it's just really yeah it's just flattering and and very moving that it's helped people like what we're just talking about to look at look at the choices they're making in their life and not be a victim of circumstance mm-hmm. and not be dependent on someone else to tell them how to you know take this drug or do that and, and instead actually start to be responsible for your own vitality yeah 
I know that was a game changer for sure. Yeah. And now it's on Netflix. So easy Uh, for people to find. Absolutely. Which is amazing. Great resource. Yeah. So I want to ask you some of the rapid fire questions that I ask everyone who comes on. Let's do it. So where do you see yourself in 10 years? Um, golly, with what's going on, <laughs> maybe Iceland. <laughs> Literally. Oh my God, we want to go to Iceland so bad. No, I, I don't know. I'd like to think that at least professionally, maybe somebody that people can recognize as a pioneer or thought leader in helping to wake up humanity and give birth to a new type of human being who lives from a place of love and vitality versus fear and disease. I think you already are that. Even more so. I yeah, love to that. the point that we actually have a society that lives from that place. Oh hopefully. my gosh, how amazing. Where I'll be on the planet, that remains to be yeah, seen. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what is your life mantra? Gosh, I would say freedom is always my number one word. So I would say freedom and love. Love that. Yeah. What's one question you've never been asked in an interview that you wish you had been asked? Uh that one. <laughs> that's I've a good been, answer I've never been asked that one it's but a I would hard say one to wish, answer yeah I don't know that's a, I mean I've been asked lots of questions I don't yeah. have a specific question that I wish you know yeah nothing that you're no nothing to comes to mind that's it sorry that's but hopefully my initial response was good enough it was good it was perfect <laughs> um, what are your sun rising and moon signs if you um, know Oh, no, I do. I love a little bit of astrology for fun. I think mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's a good way to get some, you know, tendencies, right? For I don't sure. stick to it. So it depends. There's two predominant zodiacs, right? You've right. got the Western and the Vedic. Right. I prefer the Vedic personally, but in Western, my son is in Virgo, but in Vedic, my son is in Leo. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So different. It, it, they are, but it makes a lot of sense for me because Virgo is certainly my bent towards service, you know, vitality, health. Mm-hmm. You know, I have, um, I like order. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. It used to be years ago, perfectionism, but then I right. got over that and I was like, oh, you know, it's going to be what it is. Uh, but I certainly like to have things clean. And so that's very Virgo in that regard. But then Leo is, you know, I'm very comfortable in front of whoever doing whatever. And, you know, it's not like I crave the stage because I think there's a nice balance. Virgo is much more reserved and hidden right. behind the scenes. And then my moon in both cases, well, my moon actually in Vedic is also in Leo, but in... Um, uh, Western, it's Virgo, and I'm Virgo. Oh, wow. I'm Virgo rising in both. So you're a triple Virgo. Triple Leo, yeah, yeah. That's wild. Really? So your birth? When's I'm, your birthday? September 10th. Okay. Yeah, I don't that's know Virgos really are wild. interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's I'm wild kidding. to be triple of anything because yeah, like you can see so much of it in you. Yeah, um, and I have Mercury and Jupiter in my rising. Very so in nice. Sanskrit, Jupiter is considered the, the guru. So right. it's all about teaching. And well, then Mercury is fitting. all about communication and um, education. So Very fitting. Yeah, no wonder you're seems, so good at this. Seems to work out. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, that's a that's a fun fun question. I, that's that's a question I've never had on it. Oh, oh, good. I so love I'm glad it. That you're into that. And do you know your human design? Um, I think I'm a manifesting generator. I'm the one that responds. Um, response that I think project, no, project, oh, it's either a manifesting generator or a generator. Generator, not, generators maybe. respond. <clears throat> okay, but, I mean, I could be a little bit wrong. You could be a manifesting generator. Yeah, I think it might be generator then because I know it's where. I love doing things like this, right? Like it's your home, it's your equipment. You've invited me to come mm-hmm. and do this. 
but people are like, oh, dude, like you should have your own podcast. It'd be amazing. And your stuff and you can do it. And I'm like, Ugh. like it just. You it, prefer it, to be a guest. Uh, yeah. I mm-hmm. don't want to have to figure it all out and set it up. That and, but totally I, makes sense. Yeah. So whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. That, I think maybe you're a generator. Um, I'm a reflector, oh, which okay. is like the 1% of people. And I much prefer to be having the podcast, asking the questions, yeah. hearing people's stories. Oh, like, there you go. Beautiful. I so say this no worked to out. like 99.9% of podcasts that people ask me to come on just yeah. because, I mean, it's fun to do it when it's right. But mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like, oh, I just want to do mine. I yeah. just, that's, yeah. But I love that. Isn't it funny? how Because it's the same with keynotes. When I get invited to go and speak to a company, mm-hmm. you know, I can present for a while. I can put a sweet PowerPoint to get, but I'm much more like, let's get, ask me questions. What for are you guys sure. dealing with? Like, sure. you know, what's, what's happening out there? Like more who's struggling in a relationship? Like who has a question about weight loss? Like, let's go, let's, let's, and that's you know, so I don't want to lecture. Yeah. Too. Like, let's get into the meat of it. Like for I love sure. to get down into the dirt and let's really make a difference for people. Yeah. I love that. Um, what is the last meal you would have on earth? Ooh, that's a close tie between probably like mint chocolate chip ice cream. So good. <laughs> or recently I just had like a real run of amazing papaya. I love papaya. Oh my God. Papaya like, is you my know, fresh, fruit. chilled, organic, like ripe, like I'm just it's like so a good. kid, like I got papaya all over my face. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. So I'm not sure they would go together, but yeah. certainly in I have you don't want to mix fruit and fruit stuff, with but ice cream. Yeah, yeah. But, but if it's my last one, who cares? <laughs> exactly. Good answer. Who yeah. are some of your top inspirations? Um, gosh, I would say I don't think of people so much. I mean, look, I'm not denying there's some pretty cool people out there. I would say mothers. Mm. I have so much reverence for mothers in ways that I feel they do not get anywhere near the acknowledgement or respect that is due. You know, I try and educate my male friends and, you know, male clients of like, just say thank you. Like, you know, don't be a dick. Like, you know, you have zero understanding of what that woman is capable of in ways that you couldn't come close. Mm -hmm. You know, and obviously dads get that periodically when they're left with the kids. (laughs) They're Mm -hmm. like, okay, you know, you're pretty extraordinary. So I would say, yeah, I wish we had a planet that revered mothers more. And I mean that Mm -hmm. energetically too, like Mm -hmm. Mother Earth, which is, you know, right right now being abused uh, terribly by us um, from our oceans to our air, to our land and burning down rainforests. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's sort of more on honoring and revering the feminine. And so my inspiration is, you know, you ladies and what you do and how you show up and nurture even in the face of a lot of oppression and abuse. I think that's, yeah. It's a great answer. If you were an animal, what animal would you be? Um, (laughs) That's a good question. I, I used to love cheetahs. Ooh, I love yeah. cheetahs. Because I was always the fastest. Like, you uh-huh. know, like as a kid, I'd always run the 100 meters. And so I'd say between a cheetah, which is funny because I'm not really a big fan of cats. I'd almost say I'd love to be my dog. Like, oh, yeah. even though he's passed. Like oh. he he was the embodiment of effortless elegance. Love he, that. he was the sweetest soul. I called him Krishna, which was so appropriate for his Such being. A good name. He was just so handsome. He was sort of this weird hybrid of like almost a bear with a horse. And he had all of these different Beautiful. archetypes you could see in him. Yeah. And he was a show dog. So he sort of was, as I said, he was a complete clown like me, but like to look at people were like, oh my God, he's stunning. That's so, so cute. So if I wasn't a cheater, I'd be my beautiful Krishna who 
has since moved on. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know where my cat Hudson is. You said you're not a big fan of cats, oh, but he maybe. usually likes to plop himself oh, right, right in the middle. Oh, be part of the conversation. Of, yeah. yeah, especially during It's a nothing podcast. against cats. I just, you know, I love dogs. In a yeah. different, they're just different, you know? Yeah, they're very different. They have very different energies. Are you a night person or a morning person? 100% morning. I knew it. I had a good feeling. <laughs> what time annoying. do you wake up? Um, usually between 5, 5.30. Quite early. Yeah. You and Jonathan. I'm full of life. Like, but if you want me to come and have dinner with you at 7.30, I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm like that too. Yeah. I'm not like a super early morning person, but I'm not a night person either. No. I'm like a late morning. Well, because you're fighting yourself. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're probably right. Shop. We're going to work I, on that. Yeah, exactly. Once <laughs> no. I work on that, I would love to be an I just early love, riser. you know, again, it's through Ayurveda. And again, there is definitely like speaking to sleep specialists. There's certainly genotypes, you know, where you are pre- predisposed to for having sure. a preference. Um, but I just love the mornings. It's so, so quiet. It, for Such me, through time. the yogic traditions, through Ayurveda, it's so revered, you know, like, mm-hmm. so that's when you would get up. That's when you do your meditation. And for me, that's when I do all of my health optimization stuff. I work right. out, I, you know, get in a hyperbaric chamber, I'll do an infrared sauna, or I do cold plant, you know, before I know it, it's like, I've done all of this stuff and it's only eight o'clock in the morning. And yeah, most people are amazing. kind of getting out of bed groggy, mm-hmm. no judgment, but I just, that's how I like to live my day. But again, I'm hopeless when it comes to evenings usually so right. i'm not much of a social butterfly yeah but mornings are great yeah are you a coffee person or a tea person tea never drink coffee never have never have no interesting i mean you i've just... tasted like you know like an irish coffee or whatever right. like sometimes at a restaurant and i used to drink occasionally those awful sugar laden like ice blended things oh, you can right, get right from starbucks <laughs> or something yeah from uh, coffee bean oh right yeah but that was just because i had a sweet tooth and i would mm-hmm. just love the sugar there's not much coffee in it yeah but no i uh I, i've never never been a coffee drinker oh it's pretty amazing yeah i'm trying to get off of it right now i mean yeah. i just like the taste yeah what is your go-to workout? Um, I love tennis because um, it's like I love games. I love to play. You know, it's like I love to ski. I love to golf. Um, so that's, but that's a great workout. Or I tend to do a hit. you know, high interval, mm-hmm. interval training. High intensity interval training. So yeah, so I love doing that with fun different exercises. Yeah, that's fine. So that's my, 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 my most uh, common workout is, is that. That's great. Yeah. If you weren't doing what you do now, what job would you see yourself doing? Ooh, um, I always thought I was going to be a professional soccer player. I could see that. Um, which is maybe a little bit too aspirational of myself because it's not in terms of like my progression. I was an incredible soccer player when I was young, but you know, just cause you're great when you're 12, 13, 14, doesn't always translate, but I definitely was, I, I got picked up by a professional team to be part of their development program. But then I went to a school where it's very traditional English. It was Saturday morning school. And so that put mm. the kibosh and all of that. I couldn't keep oh, that up. Yeah. So yeah, I, I loved soccer and I know I was so quick and I definitely had talent. And whether that would have translated over time, obviously right now it's all moot because this is hypothetical, but <laughs> that could have been fun. Yeah. 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 I love that. Yeah. So, or architecture. That was something I, oh, which cool. is, you know, the mind Fine architecture. architecture. <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I just love like, you know, that precision and lines and, you know, people mm-hmm. always compliment me on my home and as part of, yeah, you have a beautiful I didn't design home. it, but it was sort of interior design. So, yeah. I don't know something like that. Yeah. Or just a monk and disappear into the mountains. <laughs> I love <laughs> Which that. Which might be happening in the next Seriously. few months. Seriously. <laughs> if you are a color, what color best represents your energy? 
Um, gosh, my energy. I'd like to say white because it's all embracing. It has all of the colors, totally. right? The spectrum. But if I had to pick one otherwise, I'd say probably like a really cool steel blue or something. Yeah. Like I knew you were going to say blue. It was right. weird. After you said white, I just knew you were yeah. going to say blue. Right. And you have blue eyes. Yeah. Like me. Very... Grew up in a blue room as a boy. So I'm oh, sure that conditioned me. You yeah. know, boys are blue, girls are pink. Yeah, you know, it's like, exactly. Oh, it's... <laughs> it's the boy. It's the boy color. Yeah. And sky, there's something about looking up at the sky without a cloud. And there's this sort of feeling of expansiveness and, yeah. and awe. So you know, true. It's beautiful. The ocean. So, yeah. If you had the chance to meet anyone in the world, dead or alive, who would you want to meet? Who would you want to meet? Oh, gosh. A bit of a pluck of the heartstrings. I'd say my mom and my dad. Totally. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's a do tough one. talk but, to them? Um, I guess I do in my own way, yeah. You know, like, um, I do. When I go to bed sometimes, I'll sort of say a few words, whether you call it prayer or meditation and... But it would be for me, the man I've become, I'd like to assert that I've become relative to the boy I was. Certainly with my mom, I was seven. I mean, we were clueless. And even right. at 17, you think you know shit and you really don't. So to be able to sit down and have a cup of tea or a bite to eat with my folks and get to know them and let them see, you know, I don't want to get too teary, but it's like, you know, hopefully a guy who's making a difference, you know? Absolutely. Which yeah. you totally are. Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> I <laughs> love you. it. What is coming up for you? What's on the horizon for you? What's what's exciting in your life right now? Gosh, um, working a lot of things. I'm sort of the eternal entrepreneur and mad scientist at home. So I'm always um, creating. So we've 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 had a course out. I've got an amazing team that I just love. Um, I mean small, but they're just amazing girls who help and we had this free your mind program that uh, that was so fun and the difference it's making in people's lives is so gratifying. And so I'm going to do another one now for the body and use all of my, you know, experiences, both a Ayurvedic practitioner, as a trainer, as a yoga teacher, as a Pilates instructor and help people to recognize what are the fundamental pillars of what it means to be fully vital. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, obviously finishing my book and the book will really be a precursor to this new paradigm that I've created, which is, I would assert where we're going as humans. I'd like to think that's where we're going as humans, which is, as I said earlier to when you said, where do I see myself in 10 years from now as a pioneer of this new dimension of what it means to be this new type of human being who lives from a place of unity and love and freedom. And again, maybe it seems a little idealistic, but I think it's actually truly attainable. I think so too. Yeah. So they're the things on the horizon. I love that. Yeah. And where can everybody find you? Um, my website is just petercrone.com. So just my name. And my Instagram is petercroneofficial. Mm-hmm. And then now we have Facebook too, which is Peter Crone, I think just the mind architect. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's it. We try not, I'm not like on Twitter. I try to, I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> You're not on TikTok. <laughs> we need to get you I on TikTok. Keep up. I, uh, TikTok I, I, is fun. It I have is, to say. Yeah, it's really sure. fun. I haven't updated it in a little while, but it's fun because it's like not so curated. It's yeah. just, you just put little things out there. Yeah. You can do I, little videos. I do what I can. I understand the platforms and how powerful they are. And right now it keeps a lot of conversations going and people can get informed maybe away from, you know, if there are agendas driven through media or whatever, it's like, okay, I think it's great that everyone can connect. And certainly we've had a lot of 
interaction and engagement, which has been really, again, flattering. And people get a lot of from the different posts that I put. I'm not mm-hmm. super active. I think, you know, I've only had it for just less than two years. I think I've got like 90 something posts. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so I put stuff up there that I feel is relevant that I really want people to be able to be inspired by. But I, I get it. But again, I, I don't know. I guess I'm more traditionalist that way. Yeah. Well, you don't need, like, you know, you had a thriving business before social media was ever a thing, but it's nice that you're on there and inspiring. Yeah. And sharing and hoping it makes a difference. I'm not the guy that just takes selfie of myself, you know, it's like, you know, and Hey, check me out my six pack. It's Mm -hmm. more like, you know, here's some like from this, like we'd probably post some of this, right? When it we comes up. We definitely will. Yeah. I so it's hopefully there'll be some sound bites in here that will really impact people in a beautiful way. For sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Peter. I could talk to you forever. We talked for an hour and a half and I could oh, well. just keep going. But uh, well, thank you so you're much. So you're so wonderful. As are you, my dear. It means a lot. I know we this. talked about this a minute ago and mm-hmm. it's nice to finally complete on it. And totally. I, I hope people get, you know, the underlying real agenda here is that I just care and I want people to feel better about themselves. I want them to thrive in their lives and their businesses and their relationships and certainly in their health and you know, we all got like a lot of polarizing conversations going on right now. And I think, you know, it's important that we try and bring compassion to everybody's perspective and realize that, okay, people are just scared. Uh, People want to feel safe. We do fundamentally Mm -hmm. have the same ulterior motive, which is we want to be healthy. We want to be happy. And if we can all just sort of appeal to that within each of us and um, have a bit more patience and kindness with each other, hopefully we can get through this and not be trapped with ankle monitors and whatever else is about yes, threatening. Please, to- <laughs> let's let, please not have that happen. Microchips and whatever Seriously. it is. Like, I don't think that's going to be good for everybody. No. But anyway, well, let's trust in the universe. And trusting. The, the Cheers to trusting. Love will prevail. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, my dear. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode with Peter. Peter is a game changer in every way. He changed my approach to the story that I tell myself, the limiting beliefs that I was living in. He helped Jonathan so much. He's helped our relationship so much. And he's just a true, inspiring, and soul-on-fire human. I appreciate him so much, and I'm so happy to have him here sharing his work and his story with all of us. So thank you, Peter, and thank you to everybody listening. If you haven't rated and reviewed the podcast on iTunes, I would be so honored for you to do just that and send me a screenshot to jordanatthebalancebond.com so I can send you my free gift as a thank you for rating and reviewing. Huge thank you to our sponsor for today's episode, RA. That is A-R-R-A-E. And they have the bloating alchemy capsules that have completely changed my life, my gut health, my happiness, all the things. And most of all, thank you to Peter for being here. He is such an inspiration and I want everybody, everybody to check out his website and his Free Your Mind course. And I just am so happy to be here talking to all of you guys. So I hope everything is going well in your life and beyond. I'm sending you all of the high vibrations today and always. Cannot wait to keep connecting with you and we'll talk soon. Mwah.